0: Well, if you have your Bible here today, I'm going to ask that you would join me in Colossians once again. I bet your Bible probably automatically turns there now as we've been in Colossians for over 12 weeks and studying this wonderful epistle. I pray that it has been a blessing to you. I know that I have thoroughly enjoyed it and God has spoken truth into my heart. I pray that He's done the same for you. Today, I'm going to be looking at a message entitled, Taking Jesus to your job. And I thought about skipping over this message as I was preparing, but you know what? God's truth is so real and so relevant that I felt like if we skipped over it that we'd be depriving ourselves of some truth that God wanted for us to have. So Colossians chapter 3 verse 22 is where we'll be starting. But I once heard a story about a man who had fallen on hard times. Uh, He'd just been laid off from his job and he was having trouble keeping his kids fed and He was searching in the classified ads one day, and he saw a job opening at the city zoo. The man thought he would be working with the animals, but when he interviewed, he found out that he would be working as an animal. (laughs) You see, the zoo's only gorilla had died, and in the meantime, though they could get another one, the zoo wanted somebody to dress up in a gorilla outfit and play the part. Well, like I said, this man was in a tight situation. Money was scarce, So he decided he would take the job no matter how humiliating the work might be. So on the first day of work he arrived before sunrise, he got in that gorilla outfit, he slipped into the cage, the zoo opened, and here come the children and the guests through the gates by the droves. All the man had to do, he was instructed very clearly, all you got to do is pace the floor of the cage, look adept at uh, swinging from One rope, one vine, one limb to another. Play the part. Uh, Eat the peanuts and the bananas as they feed them to you. Uh, Every once in a while, scratch and and hoot and holler like a gorilla. Well, after eight hours of this, he became thoroughly exhausted. The bananas and the hot suit had got the best of this man, and as he swung from one tree to another, he lost his grip on the rope, And as he was swinging, his momentum carried him up and over the wall of that cage. And he landed into the lion's pen just adjacent. Well, you can imagine as he hit the ground with a thud, he panicked because he looked up and he saw there was that lion crouching before him. He thought, this is it, I'm going to become Meow Mix. So he cried out, he broke character. He said, help, help, this thing's going to eat me. About that time, the lion jumped and pounced on the man, he thought that those those fangs were going for his jugular. And just before that, the line stopped, and then he heard a voice from inside that line. He said, hey man, if you don't shut up, we're both going to lose our jobs. (laughs) Well, I think it's safe to say that at some point in your working life, you have had a job Like that man in the gorilla outfit, right? You just took the job because that's what it was. You needed the money, and you were trying to make your way through this world. Like I heard one old fella say, he said, I'm not afraid of work, I'll lay down right beside of him and go to sleep. Some of you know, uh, have been on the job with people like that. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about our work. God's original design for work was to be a blessing in the beginning You'll remember that soon after God made the first man, Adam, He gave Adam a job. And God created and worked six days and rested one in Genesis 1 and 2. Then He gave Adam a job to be the gardener there in Eden in Genesis two fifteen. And it was only until after the curse of sin was imposed upon creation that work as we know it today became that rat race, that grind Remember what the book says in Genesis 3:17: Cursed is the ground because of you, thorns and thistles it shall bring for you, and by the sweat of your face, Adam, you shall eat bread. And anybody that's worked a hard day can say a hearty amen to that right there. A recent nationwide poll among Americans showed that about two-thirds, or 66%, of American workers disliked their jobs. They were asked why, and then the complaints came pouring in. Some said they were overworked and underpaid. Many at their job felt underappreciated. Others spoke of conflicts with the management or co-workers, and some said they hated their job simply because it was not fulfilling. Now, as we have been studying through the book of Colossians, we've learned that the theme of Colossians is that Christ rules all. He rules over the cosmos. He rules over the church. He rules over the Christian. Last week, we learned how he rules over the home. And now today, we see how that trickles down even to your 9 to 5 work life. Here in Colossians, at the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, Paul writes about the Christian work ethic and how that if we take Jesus to our job, we can find purpose, fulfillment, and yes... As scandalous as it may sound, even joy in the workplace. The secret sauce, Paul says, though, is taking Jesus to your job. Now, most of us are working right now. Some of you are at retirement. Some of you are beginning. And some of you are kind of toward the end of your work life. But think about how much time we spend in a work world trying to make a living, making ends meet. And I think what Paul has to share here is so applicable to us because it can teach us so much about taking Jesus to the job. Now, Paul speaks in two sections of this passage. First, he talks to the management, for those in leadership positions, for those who are overseers, and then he moves down and he talks to the workers. So, let's skip down to verse 1 of chapter 4, and we'll notice Paul gives a word of advice to employers. And his advice to the employers is, Lead with the graciousness of Christ. Notice what he says, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now we've got to get a running start and understand some background as we get into this text. In Paul's first century context, the workforce was primarily made up of slaves. In fact, the historians tell us that about half the population of the Roman Empire at the time that Paul wrote this, about 60 million folks were slaves. Now, we have to be sensitive to the fact that the Bible never endorses slavery. You can't use a text like this as a proof that the Bible condones slavery. Certainly it doesn't. The Bible condemns slavery. If we're all made in the image of God, then we have intrinsic worth and value and we shouldn't own other people as property. But at the same time, as you read this passage, you understand that Paul and the early church leaders never advocated for a violent overthrow of the Roman social order. They didn't say, get out there and have a slave revolt. Rather, his approach was to take a long-term, slow infiltration of this broken and unequal system with the gospel take Jesus into the culture, and over time as lives are transformed from the inside out, it will make a difference in the way that people work. So that was the goal of Paul and the church leaders. Now praise God today, we don't have slaves and masters as Paul did. Say what you will about America. We're not a perfect country, never were, and perhaps never will be. But America at least found the moral fiber at some point in her history to get rid of slavery and that blight upon our history. I think we need to learn from that, not try and erase it, by the way. Because you can't change the past. Let's learn from it so we don't repeat the same mistakes. Now, Paul's timeless truth here about the Christian work ethic, though, This is applicable today just as it was 2,000 years ago. So notice what he says here. He says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. His instruction here to Christian employers, hey, treat your workers with integrity. Treat them with dignity. Treat them with fairness. In other words, he's saying, don't take advantage of your people by underpaying them. Don't uh, talk down to them. Don't ask them to participate in something that's shady or unethical. Why? Well, notice the big bombshell that he throws in there knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Hey, employers, Paul says, you're no better than your workers. Uh, you're made of dust and spirit just as they are. You're fallen in sin and you also have a boss. You have an overseer whose name is Jesus Christ and one day you're going to have to stand before him and give an account for how you manage or mismanaged people. By the way, while we're here, just as a side note, can I take a moment and just get up on my soapbox? (laughs) Thank you, I'm glad you gave me permission to do that. By the way, as a side note, this is one reason why socialism is immoral. Because it is a way for bosses to take advantage of workers through a fancy term they have invented called the redistribution of wealth, otherwise known as theft. The socialist system takes the hard work of some and it credits to those who don't contribute, thus killing the workers' incentive to work. To put very simply, socialism rewards sloth and it penalizes hard work. You say, Derek, why are you even talking about this? Because this, as you noticed, last year in the election was a big deal and is still being touted from our universities, on our television sets, through the media, and the social media, that socialism is good. Well, friend, I'm here today to tell you that it's not. It's evil. And we ought to reject it as Christians and as workers because not only is it immoral, but it leads a nation to ruin. Just look at Venezuela. Look at some of the other nations that tried to implement some socialistic system. Friend, there ain't no free lunch. By the way, have you noticed right now that everywhere you go, businesses are advertising, help wanted, you drive by the grocery store, by the gas station, by the fast food, are now hiring. If a man didn't have a job right now and wanted one, he would have no trouble finding one, right? And yet... Even as there is a need for workers right now in this country, I looked up the statistics, our own government, the Bureau of Labor, says that right now the unemployment rate is about 6%. I think it's probably higher than that. But they say it's about 9.7 million jobless Americans right now. Why this disconnect? Think about it. Everybody is needing work. Businesses are advertising. We need to hire folk and yet you've got a high unemployment rate, and it keeps going up. Why is that? It's because, you know as well as I do, the people getting the unemployment checks from the government are making more money staying at home than they actually are going and getting a good job. So they have no incentive to work. And friend, listen to me, that's the evil of the nanny state. It makes people lazy. It makes them unproductive. And I know this isn't popular, and I know it's not politically correct, but that's just the gospel truth about it. And you know as well as I do that when you make a deal with the devil, you always end up with the short end of the stick. And don't believe the fake news and the lies of the politicians who will promise you so called free stuff. They know free stuff. Who ends up paying for it? The people that work, people that get out there and grind every day for a living. And who sweat, we as Americans and as Christians need to reject socialism as a whole. It's immoral and it will lead the nation to ruin. I like what Winston Churchill said years ago. He said, quote, socialism is the equal sharing of misery. Margaret Thatcher, the once prime minister of England, said this: quote, the problem with socialism is that you eventually run out of other people's money. <laughs> Reminds me, I laughed the other day as I was riding down the road on the back of an old F-150 beat-up work truck, had cancer on it and all that. There was a big bumper sticker plastered in the back window that said this, Work harder. Millions on welfare depend on you. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against helping people, but people who need it. I'm not talking about a handout. I'm talking about a hand up. That's the biblical way to do it. Every time I see these political candidates running around and stump-speeching about free college and free health care and a ton of other of these socialized programs, I, I think about this funny comic that I saw a while back. It was a politician explaining socialism to a baseball player. And the politician was holding a bat, and he was saying uh, to the athlete, he says, under my plan, uh, when you hit a grand slam, two of those runs goes to the other team. How many of you want to sign up for that? Now, off my soapbox. I hope that was crystal clear. But here's the difference between a boss, somebody that you have worked for and probably gritted your teeth at, and a Christian businessman, a Christian employer. What's the difference between a boss and a Christian employer, as Paul talks about here? Well, listen to this. A boss instills fear in his workers, but a Christian businessman inspires confidence. A boss prays on his people, but a Christian employer prays for his people. A boss cares only about raising profits, but a Christian employer cares about raising up people. They see their job as a ministry opportunity to build Christ into the lives of the people that God has put into their business to make a living A boss takes pride in how many people are serving him, but a Christian employer takes pride in how many people they are serving. A boss answers to the board, but a Christian employer, as Paul says, answers to Christ. That's the difference. By the way, a business owner who epitomized this idea of balancing the Christian work ethic was a man named Truett Cathy. I'm sure you've Heard of him. If you haven't, I'm sure you've tasted that sanctified gospel bird that we know as Chick-fil-A. Every time we go, I get the same thing. I'm a creature of habit. I want a number two, spicy, extra buffalo sauce on top. Give me an extra one also to dip the fries in. Amen? <laughs> Wish I could go today, but how many of you know Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday? There's a reason for that. Because the founder, Mr. Kathy, was a strong believer, and he believed in shocking taking the Bible principles and putting it into his work. And he had an interview a few years ago with Decision Magazine, and they asked him, Mr. Kathy, why is Chick-fil-A here in the 21st century, why are they closed on Sundays? Here's what he said. He said, quote, that's a decision that we made 56 years ago in 1948, and it's probably, he said, the best business decision we ever made. At the time, he said, I did it because I was in the habit of teaching Sunday school and going to church and being with my family. And he said, I didn't want to be robbed of that. He said, I don't condemn businesses that are open on Sunday, but as a child of God, it's not for me. And then he said this, God has blessed us for this. He said, we have not suffered one bit. When people say, look at how much money you could make if you were open seven days a week, he says, you're wrong. He says, we generate more sales in six days than the other businesses do that are open seven days a week. Why is that? Because if you put God first, if you honor God in every area of your life, He won't be a debtor to any man. He will honor you. So that's Paul's advice to the employers. He says, lead with the graciousness of Christ. Then he turns to the employees and what Paul says, number two, to the working man or woman, he says, "Labor for the glory of Christ. Labor for the glory of Christ." So whether you're blue collar, white collar, or you're like me, you're ring around the collar. Paul gives three attributes about the Christian work ethic. Notice verse twenty-two. He talks about the workers' faithful witness. Listen to what he says right here: bond servants, obeying everything that you, who you are as. In your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, verse 22 says, as people pleasers, but with the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, Paul's first instruction to the Christian worker is to be a hard worker. Notice that little phrase, not by way of eye service. In other words, what Paul says here is, hey, don't just work when the boss is looking your way. Christians ought to be the best employees. They ought to show up on time. They ought to not slouch off. They ought to not cut corners. They ought to give a full day's work. They ought to have a good attitude and to the best of their ability. Don't get involved in the petty office politics. Rise above it. Be a man or a woman of God. Now, unfortunately, you and I know there's many Christians who bring shame to the name of Jesus by their lousy work ethic. I heard Dr. Kent Hughes tell a story one time, true story, about a businessman that he knew who refused to hire Christians. He asked him, he asked this employer, he said, why, why won't you hire Christians? He said, gave this explanation. He said, I had one fella who was a churchgoer who would take long bathroom breaks. And he said, I heard this fellow come out of the bathroom one day. He didn't know I was in the vicinity, but I heard him. He had been in there for 20 minutes and when he emerged, he said to another co-worker, he said, I just had the most wonderful time. I read three chapters in the Gospel of John while sitting on the John. Now, how lousy is that for a Christian witness? No wonder that boss got a sour taste in his mouth. That's why Paul says to us, he says, hey, have a faithful Work witness. Remember that when you're out there in the job, you're representing your family, your church, and Jesus Christ. Don't overlook what he says there at the end of verse 22. He says this, fearing the Lord. That's so important because when we work, our work says something about our witness. We're the hands and feet of Jesus on the job site, and our work ethic should reflect the goodness of and the grace of our God. Listen to what Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2 and verse 10. Paul told workers there, he said, "...not to be pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God and our Savior." Think about Joseph. Joseph, who lived in the pagan land of Egypt, And yet, he was put in charge of Potiphar's house, and everything his hand touched, the Lord blessed, and he made Potiphar a rich man. Why? Because he took his job and his service to God seriously. Think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah who set out with a group of rabble of men to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And the Bible says in 52 days, with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, they finished the work. Friend, I'm telling you, the greatest mission field in the world is the place where you work. All around you, people are looking at your life. He says he's a Christian. She says she goes to church. Is there any reality in it? I don't see it in the work ethic. God help us to be the same people we are on Sunday morning as we are Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, wherever God has called us to work. Remember Jesus? Jesus spent the first 30 years of His life working in a carpenter shop. Obscurity. Sawdust. Sweat, callous hands. What kind of quality of work you think came out of his shop? Listen to what Dorothy Sayers said about that. She said, no crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever came out of the carpenter's shop at Nazareth. Think about that. Friend, let me tell you something. If you put Bible verses on your vehicle, if you put Jesus' fish on your business card, you ought to be ready as a Christian to work circles around everybody else out there. Because that, when you put that label on there, you're putting Jesus out there. And if it wouldn't bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus, there needs to be a heart check. love what Vance Hadner said. He gave four simple rules for Christian workers. Look at what he said. He said, don't brag, don't lag, don't nag, and don't sag. <laughs> That's pretty good. In other words, don't brag. Stay humble. Even if you get that promotion or that better pay. Number two, he said, don't lag. In other words, be on time. Number three, don't nag. Have a good attitude. Don't be one of those complainers. One of those people who's who's negative all the time, who you hate being around. It's actually exhausting being around negative people all the time at work. They drain you. And then he said, number four, don't sag. In other words, do quality work. Do it for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. You see, there's too many people out there that won't pay for $20 an hour, but they got a $3 an hour work ethic. You know what I mean? So Paul says here... Number one under this heading of employees, the worker's faithful witness. Then notice what he says here about the worker's fulfilling worship. The worker's fulfilling worship. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Paul says here, take your work and with Jesus by your side, your work can become worship. You don't work primarily for your business or for your employer or the factory because behind that boss, behind that company, behind that CEO stands the Lord Jesus Christ who sees every motive, who knows every action. And so no matter what you're doing, whether you're digging ditches or whether you're screwing tops on the toothpaste tubes at the factory, if you are serving, you ought to be serving Jesus Christ in everything. When it comes quitting time and the bell rings, it's time to go home. We have to lay our work before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Here's what I did, Lord. And if you take that attitude, it'll change everything in your outlook on how you work. Think about David David, who worked in the pasture before he got promoted to the palace. But I, I imagine that David had a hard job there looking over his father's sheep. The Bible says that he had to fight off lions and bears. and That was a menial job. It was hot out there. It was cold at night. But David took that opportunity as a time to worship the Lord because as he watched over the sheep, uh, songs began to pour into his spirit. And the Spirit of God anointed him. And, and out there on the rolling hills of Bethlehem, David, the little shepherd, was also composing psalms and hymns. And spiritual songs. See, it was worship for the king to be David. So this passage, I think it exposes a false dichotomy that we have made in our culture. Between Our culture has us to believe that something over here is sacred on Sunday, but then the rest of the week, it's secular. And so many Christians, they compartmentalize their life so that who they are on Sunday has no bearing on who they are Monday through Friday. But the basic premise of this passage is that all of life relates to God. Everything that your hand does, do it with all your might. The book of Ecclesiastes says whether you're making a business presentation, whether you're fixing somebody's leaky faucet, whether you're changing diapers or playing the piano and singing and leading worship, we need full-time Christian missionaries everywhere in classrooms, in boardrooms, in operating rooms. I don't care where God has called you. Do it all for His glory and His honor. Martin Luther said this, He said, quote, The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. You ought to come to my house then, amen? (laughs) Not always clean. Then he says this, The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Amen? A few years ago, there was an article in one of the Boston newspapers. It was about this, this lady who had worked in this office building for like 40 years, and she was the cleaning lady. And the company that she worked for said that she was being given a lifetime achievement award as the best worker the company had ever had. Here's what the article said reporter asked the lady, Miss, did you ever get bored doing the same monotonous activity every day for 40 years? She's just a cleaning lady. Came in after hours, vacuumed the floor, took out the trash, cleaned the bathrooms. Here's what the cleaning lady said. I can't even believe that they published it in the newspaper. She said, oh, I never got bored. I use cleaning materials that God made. I clean objects that belong to people that God made. She said, I make life better and easier for hundreds of people. My mop, she said, is the hand of God. (laughs) That's an attitude right there. I would want to have somebody like that in my church, in my business. And friend, we need to think about that same attitude as we go to work. Because for many, Monday is just another rat race. And I don't know what you're doing. Maybe it's washing a mountain of, of laundry. Doing an endless quota of parts on a machine the same dull routine I don't know where you are in your work life the tedium of sitting at a computer but when work becomes worship I'm telling you it changes everything when you take Jesus and he goes with you on your job all of a sudden it becomes something to bring glory and honor to him and on top of that you get a paycheck and you get the witness to the people who are around you so when you work hard And you come to church on Sunday and you take that hard-earned money and you put it in the offering plate. Do you know that is just as sacred, just as holy as me preaching a message or somebody playing the piano? In the eyes of God, it has just as much value because you have represented Christ well. God has blessed you and you have the opportunity to give back a portion of what He has so richly entrusted unto you. The workers fulfilling worship. And then notice the end of this passage, the workers' future wages. As we close here today, look at what he says. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. You see, what Paul says here is, look, your job right now is a dress rehearsal. It's a test. It's training. Because one day, we're all going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and He's the one that's going to be handing out the rewards and the positions in His eternal kingdom. And what you are doing, how you are serving, how you are working, your attitude, your motive, the way that you carry yourself, is all a test for stewardship in Christ's future kingdom. And if that doesn't change your perspective on how you work, that that I'm actually... Proving to Christ right now by my work ethic, whether I'm a good servant or not, I don't know what what will change your work ethic. Certainly, uh, more pay can't do it. But your work matters to God. Listen to what John Phillips says here. He says, quote, The Lord's payday is not at the end of the week, but at the end of our lives. The Christian's ultimate job payday is at the judgment seat of Christ. He said our days here of toil and sweat will seem worthwhile when we hear the Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servant. In the millennial kingdom, he said, We will rule cities, countries, provinces, and countries and continents with Christ. In eternity, we might well manage worlds and galaxies. In God's vast new empires and space, we are in training for tasks of great honor in eternity as we handle the mundane tasks down here. He said, we may be experiencing scorn or disappointment now, but we will be crowned with glory and honor then. Wow. What a perspective. And I've said it before many times from this pulpit, when it's time for the crowns to be handed out, I at least want one to be able to throw back at the feet of my Lord and Savior and hear the sweetest words, well done good and faithful servant. I want to finish today with this. You know, in recent times, we've heard so much in our culture about how evil and wicked the men and women in law enforcement are. That's the message. Or the narrative that the media and some of the social groups out there would want us to believe. And like many of you, I have been absolutely disgusted about these cries coming from the the mobs to defund the police. By the way, if they do that, when real trouble happens, who are they going to (laughs) call? And yet every day we have brave men and women, these servants who put their lives on the line, they're holding that thin blue line, as they say, and these officers are put into incredible life and death situations for paltry pay. I know because I've got... Law enforcement in my family, I hear the stories, I see the burden that is carried by these men and women. How dare we have people march in the streets and talk about how evil and terrible they are? Now, there's bad in in every occupation, but many of us wouldn't do the same job for what they do. And as I've been preaching to you today about the importance of the Christian work ethic and how we need to take Jesus to our job, I found a story, this is a true story, that I think perfectly illustrates all this. Listen to this. On April 27, 2021, in Pleasant Hills, Pennsylvania, an officer, this lady pictured here by the name of Kristen Matriesen, was on a routine patrol. While sitting at the red light in her cruiser, Officer Matriesen was flagged down by a distraught man holding an infant. The baby's father, Joe Schleister, was in panic because... The father and mother had noticed that their nine-day-old baby, Olivia, was not breathing. The baby quit breathing while they're sitting there at the red light, the cops beside them. The baby was already turning blue when Joe, the dad, handed the lifeless child to Officer Matrizen and said, please save my baby. Just a regular day on the job. At this point, Officer Matrizen laid the baby down on the tailgate of the truck and began performing chest compressions. With two fingers pressed on the tiny body of the baby. A bystander also came to help and was instructed by the officer to retrieve the defibrillator. They prepared the baby to be shocked, but at just the moment before they were about to press the button, Officer Matrizen noticed that the baby cried and started breathing on her own. God was there, amen? Now, as amazing as that is, listen to the postscript. The parents then rushed the baby to the hospital where it was discovered that she had a heart condition that would require surgery. And when the reporters asked Officer Matrizen as she was interviewed about her role in saving the baby's life, they asked her, what did you think about that? Listen to what this lady said. She said, I was just doing my job that day, but I know that God put me at that place at that time and I'm thankful that God let me help them. And friend, that's what I'm trying to get across to you. No matter whether you're in law enforcement or you're bagging groceries or you're in repair or in a factory job, take Jesus on the job with you because a moment will come where you're going to need His power, His grace, and His mercy in your life. And when Jesus is there on the job with you, you'll be able to say, I know God put me here for such a time as this.